Next week, uh, the pastoral search team will be sharing with you some updates as to where they've been at, what they're doing, what they're looking at. Uh, the first or the second, two, or second Sunday of every month, they hope to make a personal announcement just to kind of stay in touch and share with the congregation. One of the things that they'll be doing uh, next week is that they'll be sharing th with you, one, with us, one thing that they would like for all of us to be praying for as a church for that month. Uh, each month, they'll have something specific they'd like for us to center our hearts and attention on. I think you'll find it very helpful. And uh, so next week, someone will uh, be here from the pastoral search team, and uh, you can look forward to that. When I thought about uh, speaking this morning, I thought, we are going to have many tired people here today because of the auction. Happy people, but tired people. And for those whose eyes are glazed, that would be you. Uh, but we're glad that you had a great time at the auction. I also thought that the last two Sundays for us as a church have uh, been pretty intense as we have tried to interact and explain um, the, at this point, parting of ways with the IPM process, pretty heavy stuff. So I thought maybe it would be good just to recognize the fatigue factor a little bit and push back some of the strain and just take a deep breath and open God's word and just let him minister to us personally. And we hope that we'll be able to do that today. When I work at the Middletown home as the chaplain, uh, my goal is to connect with not only the residents and to get to know their family members by name so that when they're in the room with their loved one, I can interact with them as a family. Uh, that's one of my goals. I also have a goal to try to connect with as many staff as I can. And so when... When in the middle of the afternoon, when there's this shift change that's taking place, and you can tell in the faces of the people who are leaving, they're, they're always glad. <laughs> the day is done, they can go home. You know, who doesn't like going home after work? And so I make a statement to them in the form of a question, and I ask them this as I see some of them leaving. Isn't it great to have life outside of work? And at that point, yeah, it's really good. Enjoy your life. And then the next day, I kind of watch for opportunities, people who I've seen, been able to share that with. If I can talk with them in a convenient time um, by themselves, so, uh, tell me, what did you do last night uh, when you weren't at work? What is it you like to do as a family? What's, what's kind of neat that you look forward to? And, and that way I get to connect with some of the staff, too, and opens doors and begin to build bridges and so I, I, I use that line a lot. And they see me coming at shift change, and they know what I'm going to say. For each of us, we have a lot of life outside the church. We have our families. We have our interests. Uh, we have our schedules. We certainly have work. Uh, we're soon going to be starting to talk about getting together for family uh, uh, gatherings for holidays and things, and uh, some of you are already thinking about getting together so you can watch Michigan and Ohio State, Penn State games. A lot of stuff happens outside of church. God is going to bring us a man who is going to talk with us about being a church, 
But when God brings that man to us, he will also realize there's a lot more to your lives than just being here at church. And so as he week by week opens up the word of God and faithfully stays right with the scriptures to focus our attention there, he will help us in becoming the best church that we can be, but he will also be used of God to help reach into those lives when we're not here, into our personal lives, and that's what we want. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about you, God, and your life, and we're entitling this Trusting God for Those That You Love. And I want to center attention from an Old Testament passage on you who are parenting. Parents who have young children, who have middle-aged children, who have teenage children, those whose children are out and kind of on their own, your role, your connection with them. So we want to talk with parents and then we also want to connect with the teens, the young adults. We have something that God wants them to think about. So we're going to push back the church. We're going to push back the strain. We just want to talk about our life outside of church. Okay, you with me? Take your Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah, if you would, please. Isaiah 46. And what I'd like to do, very easy to follow today, to give your, your lives a chance to recover from fatigue as well as some of the strain we've been under. Just sit back and listen and think about your role as a parent. Many of you are parents. Most of you are parents. Some of you, like me, are grandparents. Let's just look at the passage. We want to think, just understand what God is saying to Israel. Then we'll talk to the parents. And then we'll have a few words for the teens. Isaiah, Isaiah 46 is where we're going to be at. Just history background. We know that for centuries, Israel has been clinging to God, to idols instead of God. Their hope has been in all these other things and not God. They've been giving themselves, God's children, they've been giving themselves to idols, and it's been very difficult for them. It's very been frustrating for God. God has been pleading with them just to come to him so he can care for them. Um, he has sent prophets with that message, just, just honor your God, love God, let God take care of you. Uh, he's raised up godly kings to kind of lead the way. He has allowed them to go through difficult times so that they can see that they can't really make it without God, but then he comes to care for them over and over again. He He's been trying to reach out to his people to bring them closer to himself. And for centuries, he's been doing this, that they wouldn't listen. That brings us to the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, God announces to his people that they will go into a period of captivity. It's going to be tough. It's not happened yet, but beginning with verse chapter 40 and the rest of the book, he focuses on these different pictures Isaiah gives to Israel pictures of what that means, captivity, when they are going to have to struggle without God since they put themselves in that place. The land they call the promised land, the beautiful promised land will be ruined. Uh, the city that has meant everything for them uh, with their walls, their temple, with all of their uh, the meaning for them will be invaded by a, a country called Babylon. 
They will break down all the walls for their defenses. They will burst through the gates. They will go through the city. They will loot the city. They will strip it of everything of value. They will then tear it apart, completely dismantle it, set it on fire, and leave it in a burning rubble of mess. It's just, it's, it's going to be awful what they have to go through. The people that survive the onslaught will be carried away to captivity in their mass march. It will take a period of probably close to five months for them to get from where they are to where they're going to be. And then they will be there for 70 years as slaves. All that time, God will just kind of pull back from the land. The land will be left desolate and it be inhabited. It's just going to be a mess. And the people will be broken completely broken as they realize that they did this to themselves. It's really, really difficult. That's one of the themes that the book of Isaiah talks about, this captivity. But then through it all, too, a very, very dominant is that God loves his people. He still loves his people. He will care for his people. They will get through this very difficult time and in the end, they will realize that idols are useless and they won't ever go back to them. Israel to this day has never gone back to an idol. They just won't go back to the idols. And they will love God because they realize he's been so good to them. And that's what's here. Now let's go to our passage in chapter 46, verses 1 and 2. Here's one of the pictures of captivity. And what Isaiah is now presenting to them is that Babylon, the nation that conquered them and crushed them, broke them. Babylon now will be conquered. They will be broken. They will be crushed. And in verse 1 and 2, to show again the uselessness of idols, what you have is a picture of the idols of Babylon being loaded away by people who have conquered them and putting them on animals and wagons and carts and leading them off, they have been conquered. Notice that, chapter 46, verses 1 and 2, useless idols. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They're just loaded up these uh, wagons and animals and taking all these idols away. They stoop. They bow down together. They could not deliver the burden but have themselves gone away into captivity. So these idols of Babylon have been loaded up and just carried away, the uselessness of idols. Now just, just hang with me. We want to see what God says and then we're going to come back to the parents and then some of our younger adults. We want to jump over verses 3 and 4. That's the heart of what we will look at. But notice verse 5. This is kind of interesting. God is speaking to his people. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? God personally speaks to Israel in the terms in language study. This is comparative the terms are selected so that things can be put side by side and compared. This is like this, this is like that, this is, does this, this does that, and you make a conclusion. And what God is doing here, he's making a statement. He's simply saying, no one could ever do for you what I can do for you. That's what God is saying here. No one could ever do for you what I can do for you. But notice in verse 5, notice the personal pronouns that are used where it talks about me, to whom will you liken me, make me equal, compare me, that we should be alike. 
And you've got some tremendous emotion. And God is simply with all of his heart saying, no one will ever be able to do for you what I can. Don't you get it? This is the fourth time that he makes this statement in the book of Isaiah as he goes through these snapshots into captivity and to his love for them, trying to draw them together. No one could ever do for you what I can do for you. Why don't you get it? In his attempt to bring his people back closer to himself. That emotional appeal. And then, if you would please, look at verse 3 where he has a, a message Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb. Two phrases referring to the birth of a child, the early care that's given to a, a newborn. Israel as a child was held by God. That's what he's saying. Israel as a child was held by God at the moment of their birth, the time of Abraham or the time of Exodus. He was caring for them. Israel as a newborn child has been cared for from the very beginning of all the things that they have ever needed. And that's what he's talking about here, the care, the concern that he, he wants his people to have. Now, Israel's been around for a long nation. We know that. They've been around for a long time. And we're trying to think, what, what in the world is he getting at? And he's simply making the point at the very beginning of, God, of Israel's life, God began to take care of them, and he was holding them. Now, notice what God is doing. In verses 1 and 2, you have these useless idols being carried away. But what God is reminding them is that through all that they've been through, God is still holding them. They'll be okay. He'll get them through it. He's not letting go. And so those are the kind of messages that he's, he's trying to get here. But he, all of this is built around this emotional appeal. No one can ever do for you what I can do for you. Don't you get it? From the very beginning of their birth, God took them into his hands to care for them. And they just didn't get it. Okay, so that's what it says. Let's turn to Psalm 139. We'll come back here. 139. Let's go on to our parents. We have something for our parents. Parents, think back about the birth of your children, all the needed care that they needed, but also what you gave them. When we were here 20 years ago, we had that explosion of babies. During our tenure here, Sarah and I got to see 80 babies, 80 babies born. And, and the big, big challenge was we talked with uh, the folks who were having these babies. How many hands does it take to change the first diaper? Now, some of you as parents know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Parents haven't known exactly how to get into this, and, and the first couple of diapers are very, as the baby comes out of the womb, they're just different. <laughs> and so we had concluded that it takes four hands, both moms and both the dads, to change the first couple of diapers. It was a lot of fun. But think back to that time when uh, you saw your children born into this world. Great, great ministries. Our son John and Dee, his wife, have three kids the youngest is 10 now, but when she was brought into this world, it was quite an experience. 
They were headed uh, to the hospital in their van uh, in a March night, a very cold night, driving down the road, seat in the back were down, Dee was laying down just to take care of things. She had been through this twice. She said the baby's coming. And halfway to the hospital, she makes the statement to our son, John, pull over to the road, side of the road because the baby's coming. At which his response was, I can't do that. We're not at the hospital yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At which her response was very loud, pull over now. Get back here. And it wasn't too long, they had everything arranged, that here comes little Peyton. And our son had the opportunity to hold his little daughter just as she was coming into this world. Uh, he had cleaned her up, told mom everything was okay. They had called the ambulance. And he has never forgotten, 10 years, he has never forgotten what it was like to hold his little girl. Now, fortunately for him as a dad... He was the first one to hold any of his child as their children came into this world. And his love, John's love for this 10-year-old little girl today is just as full now as it's ever been. He has just never forgotten that moment when he took his little girl and just began to hold her and take care of her. And that's a special connection that he has, and we're thrilled for that. And Christian parent, understand what God is saying to Israel in this particular passage. And then understand what God is saying to you as a parent. Parent, when your son was born into this world, God took a hold of your son. And he still holds him. When your daughter was born into this world in those first few moments of exciting life, God took a hold of your little girl, and he's still holding your daughter. God holds your child in his hands, and he has never let go. And the message that God has for his children, Israel, is a message that God wants every Christian parent to hear loud and clear. I have your son. I have your daughter. Trusting God for those that we love is our focus. And it's very, very focused here, what God is telling, and he wants us to understand. And maybe some of you are thinking, Pastor, I think you're stretching it a little bit there. Um, really? Do you think God is holding our kids in their hands? Well, that's why I asked you to turn to Psalm 139. Because David, who has grown older and is writing this psalm, notice what he says, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my uprising. You understand my thought off, far off. Verse 3, you encompass my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but Lord, you know it all together. You have beset me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Now watch this talking about God's hand. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall what? Hold me. 
David realized that he was in the hands of God. Now, many of you are too young to remember this. There was a popular song in the 50s that wasn't designed to be a hymn, wasn't designed to be even a spiritual song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. The next verse, he's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And it talks about holding the children and talking about holding everyone. The Bible is clear that when God created you, he took a hold of your life he took a hold of the life of your son and your daughter. Christian, he loves you. He made you because he wanted you to be here, and he's not letting go. And as a Christian parent, there are times when you're going to need to remember that and trust God when you're not quite sure what's happening in the world of your kids. Sooner or later, children come to the place where they develop minds of their own, true or false. <laughs> Yeah, one man said, he said, when children are born, they're so, they're so helpless, and then they become so reckless, and then maybe they become so foolish, and yeah, they, they do, uh, they grow, it's a growth cycle, and we know that's coming, and kids develop, and they grow, and we want them to, and they're, they're on their own journey, become their own person, and we know that, and as parents, there comes a time when we realize that we're not going to be able to relate to them the way that we used to. We cannot forcibly pick them up and put them in the car seat. By 16, they don't fit very well. We can't, with our voice, just say, do this and expect it to be done. Some of those things, we can't, we realize there comes a time when we can't even make our kids do what we want them to do. It's not that we want to have that kind of relationship with them. They're becoming their own individual they're becoming their own person, man or woman. They're going to be making their own decisions, thinking things differently from a perspective. They weren't raised as mom and dad in their shoes, so to speak. And sometimes, as parents, as things unfold, as they grow, there's a lot of turmoil in our hearts and grief because as we look at their kids, we don't think they understand why they need to love the Lord. They're not to the place where they have put it all together. They don't understand why it's best for them to love the Lord, why it's best for them to make the decisions to honor God. And so we end up, we end up even thinking and talking just like God talks to his kids here. And when we reach out to them, we make this statement, don't you understand that God can do for you what no one else can do? Don't you get that yet? Don't you understand that God can guide you in ways that you can never guide yourself? He can love you and care for your life in ways that no one else can. He can provide you. He can take care of you. God can do for you what no one else could ever do. Don't you get that? And when those times come, as parents, we need to remember that we can trust God to care for those that we love. We're so focused on what's immediate as parents God sees the whole picture. He knows what he's doing. But sometimes it's going to be tough if we think our kids may be making mistakes with their lives and there's nothing that we can do to stop. 
this is a very realistic passage. And as God wants his kids to get it, as parents, we want our kids to get it too, don't we? Okay, equal time here. Kids, teenagers, young adults. Israel learns to love God, finally, but because of the mistakes that they made and the hardships that they went through. They learn to love God. They learn, they get it after they've gone through some pretty hard times. And that's how the book will unfold, and we'll, you'll see that if you read that. But there are times when today young adults learn the same way through the mistakes that they make. Uh, young adults, teens, and teens, uh, thank you for taking care of the Middletown uh, Pumpkin Fest. You had a great time there. I was really disappointed that Pastor John did not get in the dunk tank. I, I think we need to investigate that. Maybe we can start next time, teens, to make sure he's there <laughs> before that. We can vote on it as teens, right, Pastor John? Yeah. Teens, you, you are going to have the opportunity to make your own decisions, to have your own life. It's coming, all right? But understand that you don't have to learn through mistakes. You don't have to go through the hard times and get knocked around before you get it, that God is the best thing that could ever possibly happen to you. You need to get that. Your parents want you to learn from their mistakes. They want to help guide. They want you to think through life. Eventually, it will be your own decisions, but you don't have to go through the mistakes, certainly the way that they did, to have to do that. And there will be coming a time in your life, if you haven't already had it as a teenager or as a uh, young adult, going into college, you will realize that you are at a crossroads. You, God will have brought you to the place where you see it. It's just as clear as it can be that you've got to make a decision. Are you going to live for God or not? Are you going to willingly follow him and let him lead you because you trust him and love him? Or just going to kind of casually just kind of drift away? Are you going to learn to, 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 to put yourself in his hands and, and just look to him for the needs, the deep needs that you have in your life? Are you going to do that or are you going to just do it all by yourself? Your choice. And I sure hope that you won't have to learn the hard way. In our church in New Jersey, there was a guy, a very righteous man, a godly man, he and his wife, a key in our, in our church, uh, three children, the uh, daughter, one of the daughters uh, had graduated from high school. Uh, they had poured a lot of time into this daughter because she was restless with life, just restless. And they'd been trying to get through to her over the years. And they had even arranged so that uh, she could have fun with other teens and be involved in ministry at a nearby youth camp. I had a great time with that. But when she graduated from high school, daddy got her aside and kind of had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with her. And he shared with me that he told her, he said, honey, I don't want you to have to make the mistakes that I did. I want you to learn from the mistakes that I did. I don't like some of the things that I see. Your mom and I are concerned for you. We just want you to be okay. And as he kind of poured his heart, great guy, really great guy, she made this statement. I think I have, I should have the right to make my own decisions. 
and I will learn from my own mistakes. At which time, Daddy's heart fell right to the ground because he realized that there was no more that he could do and that his daughter was going to have a collision course with the reality of life. As her life continued in the next four years, as it unfolded, it was not a very attractive life. She becomes a single mother of two kids. The two kids have two different fathers, both deadbeats dads, dropout dads, and she's left to put all the pieces back together. And when Sarah and I were at our, our church, the farewell they had before uh, coming back to the area, she came over and threw her arms around my neck and just wept. She said, I made such a mess of everything. And what I said to her was, calling her by name, God still loves you. He will always love you. Let him put back the pieces. And that mom and dad have gathered around their girl to try to help her to put back the pieces of her life. And she knows she did not make the right choices. She knows that. Kids, God has one thing for you that he said to his kids. He would say to you now as kids, there is no one that can do for you what God can do for you. Do you get that? I hope so. Let's go back to Isaiah and we'll close with this. One thought, and then we'll close. God has one more thing to, to offer for both the kids as well as the parents. And I want you to see it in verse 4. And then we'll be done. Even to your old age, Jerry Moore and I are there. All right, Jerry, are we there? Yeah, we're there. Okay. Danny, you're not quite there yet, are you? <laughs> not there. <laughs> Even to your old age. Now, notice what he does here. Even to your old age, I am he. What he's saying to his children is, I will always be the same. I will always be there throughout your entire life. And notice the emphasis so much on himself. To your old age, I am he. Even your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will deliver you. Notice the emphasis on, on who he is and what he will do. What's so wonderful about this is that God is promising to provide protective care, long-term care through it all to his kids. Through it all. Now remember, the useless idols that were carried away and that weighed down the animals, it was a heavy burden to them, useless idols. He's making it very clear that his children, his children will never be a burden for him to carry. And he will carry them through them all. Do you see all those references? I will carry, I will bear, I will carry. The one word that's used for old age that Jerry and I have a corner on right now is, is it, it's the end of the aging process when the body begins to, to no longer work. We're not quite there yet, but we're headed there. The end of the aging project process when the body doesn't 
work like that anymore. And here's what he's telling us. He knows we need his help all of our life. And the promise here is that we will have it all of our life. And even when our bodies fail, they don't want to function anymore the way they should or have, God will not fail. He will see his children through it all. And for parents, as you talk with your kids, you need to tell them right up front how you came to know Christ for salvation, what it means to you that you know that you're in God's hands. You need to tell your kids, I hope you will believe mom and me when we say that Jesus has been the greatest person of our life. God has cared for us and everything. We want you to love our Savior the way that you and uh, mom, uh, your mom and I do. We want you to do that. Tell them how God has cared for you. Show them that you trust God on a weekly and a daily basis. But understand that your kids will have their own choices to make, and hopefully by that time, the kids will get it that no one can do anything for them the way that God can. There's just no substitute for God. So when you have to trust God to take care of your parents, he sees the whole picture, his plan is for all of life, and kids, please, make your decisions as soon as possible to stay on track and to stay close to God. Because I can tell you from life's experience, as many adults in here can, there is no one who can do for you what God can. And putting yourself into his care, trusting him is the best thing you can do for your life. There's a lot of life outside a church. It's a great thing to know that God cares for our church. It's much better to know that when we get home that God is taking care of us there too, right? Let's bow for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this brief moment where we could spend together in your word. Father, we thank you for the auction. We thank you for the fatigue that comes from great ministry. We thank you we could push the tension of the church situation back a little bit and to be reminded that you are going to bring us a man who will not only help us to be the church you want us to be, but week by week by showing us the word of God, you will be able to reach into those parts of our lives that are outside the church. We want that. Father, I pray for young people, young adults, those who are possibly thinking, well, I have the right to make my own decisions. I will learn from my own mistakes. Help them to learn that never works, never, and change their hearts. For those who have made a decision to live their lives for God as kids and growing adults, may this cement them in that decision and warm their heart, begin to bless them in ways that they will see you are caring for them. And for parents who have done everything they can or are in the process of doing as much as they can and they're not sure that their kids get it, Father, help them to know they can trust you for those that they love the most. We pray, Father, you be pleased just to bless us and care for us, strengthen us in our families, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.